Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and dive into God's Word. If you would, open up to the book of Genesis and to chapter 32. We're going to be covering all of chapter 32 this morning as we uh, start a new series for the Advent season titled Uncommon Gifts of Grace. And so grace in and of itself is uncommon and flies against uh, everything that our world tells us, that if you work hard and you put forth your best effort, this is what you get. Grace doesn't abide by those types of rules. Grace is is different than that. So uh, we're looking at uncommon gifts of grace. So first, let's have a working definition of what grace is for this new series we're starting. And so give you guys three definitions we can work with, and then you can choose which one you like best. So definition of grace is a lavish gift that you can't buy, earn, or connect any of your actions to, okay? Second one is a grand gift that makes you uncomfortable because you are completely passive in receiving it. And the third one is, it's one-way love that is based solely on God's choice and not our works. So that's what grace is, which is already uncommon. What we're going to look at with uncommon gifts of grace is throughout the Old Testament, we're going to see um, these uncommon ways that God provides his grace. And, and again, grace is, is something that is not based upon what we do. It is a free gift given. And then we're ultimately going to see how this leads up to God's uh, most uh, uncommon, but also greatest gift in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited to dive into this series this, this morning. The main point is going to be the gift of surrender. And so the uncommon gift we're going to be looking at this morning is, is the gift of surrender. It, it's going to be the gift of a wound, um, and, and it's going to be this story of Jacob um, where God shows us that surrender is actually a good thing, and it's what's needed, though our world pushes back to it big time. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Christmas season. It is a reminder that you came, that you came, that you took on flesh and blood, that you came because we could not rescue and redeem and save ourselves. The Christmas season is a reminder every year that we need a rescuer, that we need a hero, because in and of ourselves, God, we are incapable of saving ourselves. Remind us this morning of who you are. Remind us this morning of what you've done. Remind us of who we are in Christ. And for those that are investigating, that, that, that are just peering in this morning to get a glimpse of who you are, reveal yourself to them. Father, convict us, save us, transform us. Remind us of your grace and bring our hearts to surrender more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Jacob uh, has this word prevail in it. And, and by the end, we see in this wrestling match that it says Jacob prevails. But what we also need to understand is that um, the sort of prevailing that Jacob does is different from how our world would uh, define success or prevailing. This prevailing that happens to Jacob is actually surrender. So by the end of the story, it's a spoiler right now, we have Jacob surrendering. And so what I would say is that we, we, we need to redefine what prevailing looks like. We need to redefine what success looks like. There's, there's a universal symbol um, that this means. If you wave a white flag, this means surrender. And if you do that in war, even if you do that in boxing or mixed martial arts, if you throw the white talon, that means that we're giving up, that we're surrendering. One of the famous uh, scenes from 
Rocky IV is Apollo telling Rocky that no matter what happens in this fight, don't throw the towel in. So you see Rocky holding this towel and he's clinching onto it. And every part of him wants to throw it in. But, but Apollo is telling him no. He's telling him no because he doesn't want surrender. Because surrender in that sense means defeat. But surrender in this sense and in the sense of the gospel is a good thing. And so no, so no wonder when we get to grace and when we get to the gospel, which is a free gift that God completely provides and gives, that we have pushback toward it because it looks like surrender. And it's, and it's us surrendering the fact that we don't give, we don't uh, uh, contribute to it. It's a free gift completely given by God. And so we even in our culture, we praise those who, who have no quit in them. We praise those that aren't willing to surrender. I know that when I go hiking with my girls, my youngest, as soon as it's not fun anymore, um, to, to her, it's, it's, it's dumb at that point to do something hard. And so she just wants to be carried. To my oldest, she will do whatever it takes to get to the top of a mountain, get to the top of a hike. And, and I praise that because I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, she's mentally tough. She has no quit in her. She's not willing to surrender. But then we take all of that and, and, and we put all that into all of life. And then what happens when we're unwilling to surrender to a trust in God, to a faith in God, and, and um, um, to these sorts of things, we get exhausted. And so we can see that with Jacob's life. And part of me feels bad for Jacob as, as you get to peer into his life, to see his backstory, to see the approval that he longs for, and to see what he's going through. This is a big uh, uh, um, section of scripture that we're going to be covering today. And so I'm not going to be able to, um, to read through it all up front. Instead, we're going to read through it and tell the story as it goes. But let me give you guys a little backstory to Jacob and Esau and to Isaac and what's happened there. So you have two twin brothers. From in, in the womb before they're born, God declares um, um, his love and acceptance over Jacob and, and, and not over Esau. And then you see this division that starts to happen in, inside of this family and with these two boys. They are two different boys, um, though they came from the same womb. They're just really different. So you have Esau, who's who's like a blue-collared, hardworking, hunting guy. And so living in Lane County, my mind goes towards kind of splitting up uh, um, these two guys between a man from Springfield and a man from Eugene. And so I, I picture that Esau is like this Springfield guy. He's got like the bent bill. He's hardworking. He's, um, he's... Uh, just relies upon his his brute strength, upon bronze, and, and just uh, kind of on a street smart. He's probably got his bent bill. He drives a lifted truck, something like that. And this is kind of like the, the, the picture of Esau. On the other side of it, we have our Eugene guy, which is which is our Jacob. He He's very educated. Um, he re relies upon his intelligence. He relies upon books, probably drives like a Prius or a Subaru. Um, he wears skinny jeans and he's a foodie. And so you have Esau who's going to go out and hunt for food. We see that. And then you have a guy like Jacob who's going to stay at home and watch cooking shows about food being made. And so they're just really different guys. And, and what causes a lot of the problem is that Isaac has a lot of love and affection for his oldest son Esau and then so Jacob feels that uh, neglect and he feels that rejection and so he's constantly as you see through the story he's fighting to have longing and he's fighting to have approval and what we also get to see is this is that uh, Jacob uh, cooks up this plan quite quite literally full 
pun intended, that he and his mom cook up this plan to trick his dad and to get his brother's uh, birthright and his blessing. And so he gets all of that. He gets all that he wants. He gets all that he cooked up with, with his mind, with his ingenuity, with his scheming, with his planning, with his deceiving. But then what he gets is he gets exiled. So he has to leave the land. He has to run away because his brother is going to kill him. Then he goes and, and lives in another uh, um, uh, part of the region and he lives with his uncle Laban. And with Laban, it's almost like Jacob met his match because he met another schemer and deceiver, but also Jacob is able to uh, use his ingenuity, use his intelligence, and he's able to um, grow a large flock. He's able to survive well. But then the time comes where he realizes it's time to leave my uncle Laban's house. There's friction, there's stuff going on there. It's time to leave. And God tells him it's time to go back to your land. And God makes him a promise that I'll be with you and I'm going to take care of you. But Jacob knows as he starts to go, uh, go back to the land that he came from, what that means. That means that he has to face the decisions that he did in the past, that he has to step back into something. And, and we see that he's willing to face Laban. Whenever Laban tries to trick him and do stuff to him, Jacob has a sense of courage to at least face him. He doesn't have this courage when he's going to face his brother Esau because he knows what he did. And so shame and guilt can paralyze us from moving, from parenting, from leading, from doing anything. And in a lot of ways, this is what's happening to Jacob is he knows the shame and he knows the guilt from what he's done in the past. And what he needs to do is, is primarily experience the forgiveness of God because that'll allow him to move forward. But, but he's suffering from this and he knows that in order to move forward that he has to, in a sense, go back and face his past and face his brother. So that's where we pick up in 32. There's been a lot that's happened. Um, but now Jacob is heading back to his home country. But in order to do that, he knows he's going to have to face his brother Esau, who he's tricked, who he's deceived, and who he's lied to. So read with me chapter 32, verse 1, as we look at the gift of surrender. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanam. And so on going back already, God gives him a gift that he is unworthy and undeserving of. Remember, grace is something we don't deserve. In fact, all of life, the, the breath in our lungs, the sunshine, the rain, the dew, whatever it is in life, we aren't deserving of that. We, we don't get to tell God we have done this and we deserve this. So him going back and God allowing him to see that there's an angel army around him is God's gift to him to be like, hey, I promise you that I'm going to be with you. and I'm going to take care of you. Let me give you a little insight so you can see who's here, who's with you, and who's around you. And there's other times we see this in the word. Even when Joshua steps into uh, the promised land, which God told him to go into with the Israelites, we can see, and we're going to look at that story next week, the commander of uh, the, the Lord's army. And so we see this angel presence and figure there, and it's giving them a sense of confidence. Look, hey, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm protecting you. And so God tells him to go, he's going to be with him, and, and he allows him to see that there's this, in a sense, this camp um, um, that's covering him, that's protecting him. Verse 3, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And so what's happening is this, is before, though God just showed him, look, I've got an army of angels around you. I've told you that I'll be with you, that, that I will do you good, that I will protect you. 
what Jacob starts to do is do what da Jacob does best, is he wants control. And, and he wants to know the outcome. He wants to know how things are going to look. And so that's where he places his confidence in. And so before moving forward, Jacob wants a positive report to come back to him. And so he's sending out his messengers and he's telling them, hey, go tell my brother Esau, tell him about all the flocks, all the animals, all that we have. So my brother knows that we're not moving into his land to try to take over, but instead we've got all of our own stuff. And so where Jacob's trust is actually placed is in knowing the outcome. And I'll ask this, this question uh, this question this morning. I would encourage you guys maybe write some of these down, take some notes, because um, we're going to talk about what it looks like to surrender and trusting God at the end. But what are things that you won't move forward with in life or that in a sense um, can be paralyzing unless you know the outcome? Or what are the things you place your confidence and trust in to move forward in life? For Jacob, he wasn't wanting to move forward and step uh, toward Esau and toward the promised land until he got a positive report back. He wanted to know the outcome. If I know the outcome, then I will move forward. That's not actually trusting God. It's trusting in your planning, your, your, your details, and your being able to see and know what the outcome is. What are the things that we tend to put our trust and our faith into instead of surrendering our full trust our, our, and our full faith and confidence in God. The other thing that we see is that he's doing all this for a big driving reason. Verse five, that I might find favor in your sight. What does Jacob long for? Jacob, what he does, and, and I get this, is he tries to control situation and circumstances so he can have approval. He longs for approval. We see that throughout his story. I think he longed for his father's approval. Now he longs for his brother's approval. And so if he can have this approval, then he will move forward in life. And here's the reality is what we also need to surrender is that we need to surrender living for someone's approval. And the only way we can do that is when we know we have the one's approval. And, and by the, the one, I mean God. And so in a lot of ways, we will be in a state of paralysis with moving forward in life, with leading teams, with making decisions, with parenting, with being a spouse, with, with being husbands and leaders, with all these things. We, are, we, we will oftentimes, if we're longing for approval, what we need to, to do is surrender to God this person's approval that we're longing for and rest in the fact that we have God's full approval and that surrendering that will be the thing that allows us to move forward. And so we see already Jacob's restlessness. We see that Jacob's not willing to surrender. He's, 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 he's brewing and, he, and he's cooking up these plans already. Verse six, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. He couldn't imagine that his brother coming with 400 men, which obviously does look like a statement, but because of his shame and his guilt from his past that he feels and that he's experiencing, when you feel that, experience that, and aren't receiving and understanding the forgiveness God has given, then you start to, to impute uh, bad motives on everyone. Or, or you just start to think that, that there's no way that someone could be doing something good. You question motives, you question everything because of your own shame and your own guilt. So he can't imagine that maybe his brother's coming out to welcome him home. The only thing he can go to, the only thing he, he can think of is this must mean something bad. So what does it say? That he's afraid and he's greatly distressed. 
Let me ask this question this morning. What's causing you right now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this season, to be afraid or distressed? What, what are you trying to order or structure or, or manipulate or figure out in life that is causing you fear and that is causing you to be distressed? I would encourage you to, to write that down and write some of these things down. What are these things like for Jacob that just cause you stress, cause you worry, cause you anxiety? It could be a multitude of things, fi finances, outcomes, uh, the, the future. What are these things? But you also need to see this. Um, Jacob uh, does what he does almost like he's breathing. It's like second nature to him. So he's afraid and, and it doesn't say, the author doesn't say he took some time, cooked up a game plan. It's like he does this stuff just like this. Is he started to divide people into two camps, which is, which is brilliant, but it's about self-preservation. He wants Jacob's life and he wants all of his stuff. And so he's dividing it up into multiple camps because if uh, Esau comes against one camp, then the other camp will be able to escape. He thinks of this stuff just on his feet because that's how he works. He's all about maintaining control. He's not about surrendering to trusting in God. He's not about surrendering his life to God's control. He's not about surrendering his life and placing his trust and his confidence and his faith in God. He's about gaining and maintaining control. And what we need to see is this, that many of us are trying to maintain control like Jacob is, and by doing so, we're actually, we're actually exhausting ourselves. And I know this, you're talking to, if Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, I would call myself the chief of sinners when it comes to control. I love control, and, and I idolize control to a fault, and I try to do everything I can in life to maintain control. This week on Monday, I had surgery, and uh, my biggest fear about surgery was being put to sleep. I've never had that experience before and it's a loss of control. And so this is, this is a true story. They, they wheeled me back into the OR and they said that we're going to give you some medication that's going to calm you down. And when they shot that into my IV, I wanted in that moment, I told my wife to tell them to stop because I started to feel so relaxed and I didn't like that feeling. Some people love it. Uh, they describe it as, as just like this euphoric feeling and, and you're just kind of melting away into the table. I hated it because I felt like I was losing control. I wanted to tell them to stop. Then they put a mask on me and said, hey, a couple breaths and, and you're going to go to sleep. And I, I took about four or five breaths and so they repositioned me and I took a few more breaths and they repositioned me. And when I got out of surgery, the one thing that the doctor told me is he said, hey, it took about four times the amount uh, of medication to put you down and keep you down than, than other people. I'm not saying this like this is cool to boast in. I'm just saying even subconsciously, like every part of my body is fighting to have control. I idolize that and here's the reality. My counselor told me I'm like a duck. On the surface, uh, it looks like I'm calm and floating on water, but those feet are moving uh, just a, a million miles a minute underneath the water. And what this does is it leads me oftentimes to get exhausted by me trying to maintain control in my life. And that's what's going to happen to Jacob is he's just going to get exhausted by, by trying to maintain this and trying to maintain control. And so Jacob is fighting for control and approval instead of surrendering to God. All right, but, but now as we move along the story in verses 9 through 12, we actually see something really amazing. This should have been Jacob's first move, but it's his back at move instead. So read with me verse 9. And Jacob said, he prays, look at this. O God of my father, Abraham and God of my father, Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, 
that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers uh, with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So what we have here is we have Jacob doing what he should have done in the first place, praying. Oftentimes when we lose control or things get out of control, what we do is we call someone, we do something, we react, we come up with a game plan. I've heard of people getting jobs and they've already started looking for their next job in a way to just protect themselves and their financial situations. Instead, we actually have full access to the God who is in full control and who can bring about change. And so, um, as one person said, when we work, we work, but when we pray, we trust God to work. And so, what's actually a step in an act of surrender is prayer. Prayer is us stopping from trying to be in control and do everything. That's why it is an amazing gift of grace that we have to have full access to God, to go to him and pray to the one person that, 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 can, um, that is in full control, that has infinite power, that, that, that has infinite love for us, and to turn over the very things that we're anxious about to him. And, and, and that is a step of surrender to say, God, I'm not in control. I'm not the one keeping the universe going. You are. So prayer is a time that we can pause and, and take a step in what it looks like to surrender control over to God. And a lot of ways, this is why we're anxious, because we don't do what Philippians 4, 6 tells us, which is do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So go to God, let him know these things. He already knows them. And in a sense, sharing them with God is a good thing. But also, if we look at Jacob, we can learn good things about it. His prayer is filled with truth. His prayer is filled with God's promises. And oftentimes our prayers have little of God's word in them. And one theologian said that's because there's little of God's word inside of us. What we need to do is when we pray is, is declare God's faithfulness, declare God's promises. What we need to do is we need to pray the word of God. And, and we don't declare these things to God so he remembers them. Oh, yeah, I'm a faithful God. Oh, yeah, I, I did promise that. We declare them so that our soul is reminded of them and can rest in them and find peace in the goodness and faithfulness of God. I like what Spurgeon says. He said, Beloved, I say to you, one and all, study much the promises of God's word. Have them at your fingers' ends. Remember what things God has said to men and what he has said to them. And to what kind of men he has said them. And discover by this means how far he has said them to you. When we pray, it is a good thing for our souls. Um, because one, it's an act of surrender. The fact that God is in control. But two, we get to declare the goodness and the promises and the faithfulness of God. We also see in this that that he actually has an accurate view of himself. We see in this that, that he understands that he is not deserving of the steadfast love of God and the faithfulness of God. Jacob has an accurate view of his fallenness and his brokenness. And in, and in so many ways, what we need to do is to wave this flag to first surrender to the fact that we are broken. This is a good step. This is, this is the hardest thing for so many people to do is to admit that we are broken, to surrender to the fact that we are broken. Though God's word makes this clear, 
It, it literally says that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit. So what that means is blessed are those that are morally bankrupt, morally incapable of saving themselves that realize that because as, as the text goes on to say in, uh, in, in Luke 5, 32, is that I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And so in a lot of ways, Jacob's prayer teaches us what it is to surrender to the fact that we are undeserving of God's grace. We are undeserving of God's acceptance, his love and his approval. And what we need to do is surrender to that. My wife and I got in an argument on the way over here. And even in the midst of that argument, what I said is neither one of us are wanting to surrender. We, sur we view surrender as a bad thing instead of seeing it as dying to ourselves. And so in this, Jacob is saying that I don't deserve any of this. And it is a good thing for us to be reminded of the fact of, of, of the true nature of our hearts and that we aren't deserving of anything so that we see grace as completely a gift that we are undeserving of. Let's keep moving on. 13 through 21. So he stayed there that night. And for uh, what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. So he prays, just to be clear, and he's going right back to cooking up his game plans, okay? Uh, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 10 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong and where are you going and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say it. They belong to your servant Jacob. They are presents sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same things to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, look here, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed there that night. So he prays, but then what does he instantly do? He goes back to his scheming. He, he's not ready to fully surrender. He's like, ah, I don't know. I better take control. I better maintain control. Here, here's another game plan. It's better than the first one, and this is better than the two separate camps. This is it. He, he's he's going to send gift after gift after gift after gift and lavish gift. If you think about just how much uh, 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 cows cost a day and look at the gift that he gave, this is a lavish gift. What was he doing? Trying to earn his brother's love, trying to buy his brother's love. That is at the core of what religion is. It's not us resting and surrendering and trusting to the fact that God gives us all that we need by his grace and through the finished work of his son and through our faith in that, what we feel like we need to do is manipulate God, control God and buy favor with God. And so that's what he's doing here. And he's doing this with his brother. He's longing for approval and so much so he's willing to control everything through these brilliant strategies to get it. He's even willing to have his servants killed. Think about this. Jacob's not going to the front of the pack and going out and surrendering to trusting God. He's sending servants because servant after servant might get killed. And then maybe Esau's heart would be softened to go, oh, wow, these are great gifts. Who's giving them? And they would keep saying, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. And so we don't see this surrender um, and we don't even see a great leader. We see someone sending out other servants ahead of him to die uh, or at least risk dying. What else is going on? We see this, 
And I don't know if you guys get this, but I think it's easy to hate on people like Jacob. Instead, my heart breaks for him as, as you look into the story because he is longing so bad to have someone's approval. He's longing so bad to have someone accept him. For those of us that struggle for approval and struggle for acceptance, we get it. We'll try and control everything in and around our lives to the point of being exhausted so that we can have someone's approval. When in the end, it becomes vanity when it's not the ones. And by the one, I mean God's approval. We also see the religious act of what he's doing here, of, of trusting in gifts to buy and earn approval. What he's also doing is this, and this is where it gets exhausting. You know that many times for myself and for many of us listening, that we put a great deal of trust in our talents and in our giftedness and our abilities and in our performance. And we wanna lay those down to people and say, look, don't look in here, don't get close to this. Look at all this and accept me based upon what I have to offer you. Based, uh, accept me uh, and don't reject me because that's at the core of, of the reason why we do this and what he's doing this. We don't want to be rejected. So here, take all of these gifts or take all of my performance, take all of my giftedness, take all of my scheming, my strategies and all this stuff and, and please accept me. But what in, in the end, what that's doing is it's not actually letting people get near to us and to our hearts. And so we're not actually being known and we're getting exhausted because we're putting all of our trust and faith and confidence in surrendering our performance and all these gifts and all these things instead of surrendering our heart to God and to people to be loved or accepted or even rejected. And I believe that's the very reason that Jacob, and we can see this, he's a lonely man. And oftentimes we can find ourselves feeling very lonely because we've never let anyone actually get close to us. We've only let people get close to our performance and, and, and our giftedness and our abilities with, without actually knowing who we are. And what we're gonna see is that God is, is not wanting his performance. He's not wanting his strategies. He's not wanting these things. In fact, he's wanting to wrestle those things out of him um, and, and we're going to see that now as we jump uh, to verse 22 and read through the end of this chapter. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. This is a good thing. He, he's moving them in the right direction. So this is an act of trust. This is an act of surrendering to trusting God. Then he took them, verse 23, and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, 24. And Jacob was left alone. That's that alone feeling. This is in here on purpose. It's just a sentence. Jacob was left alone. For some of us, that's a scary feeling. For some of us, that's how we feel. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Notice, we oftentimes give Jacob credit for being the man who wrestled with God, but, but we have to see that this uh, that, that it wasn't Jacob that uh, um, started this wrestling match. It was actually God who started the wrestling match with Jacob. And so, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. That's that word. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask it? Uh, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Okay. What's going on? <laughs> this is it. Maybe Jacob was like, great, got my family across 
The JBIC, have some time to be alone. Now I can really stew up. I've had these other plans, but now it's time for me to really cook up a good game plan. And then God shows up and starts wrestling with him. This is, this is a crazy, weird text, but we have a man who in the end we believe is God. And that's who Jacob recognizes him. I believe it's the incarnate Christ um, who came to wrestle with him. And so we see this like wrestling match that's going on. It looks like this all night wrestling match. What we have to understand is, is this isn't some just awesome wrestler of a man named Jacob, who, who, who's, who's actually a good match for God. Believe that what God is doing is wrestling out of Jacob, his self-reliance, his self-pride, his self-ambition, all the things that Jacob puts his full trust and confidence in, and he's not willing to surrender. And so we look at this and go, wow, he's willing to go all night. Yeah, he's not willing to surrender. He's not willing to surrender the loss of control. He's not willing to surrender and submit to God. He's not willing to surrender. And so he's willing to wrestle all night. So instead of uh, pray, uh, just praising him for this just pride and not giving up, what we see is, is this man who's just unwilling to surrender to trusting God. And he's willing at all costs, even wrestling all night. And God keeps pressing him and he's trying to wrestle these things out of him. And then we get to this interesting text in verse 25. And it says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, remember, this is God. It's not like God couldn't um, out wrestle Jacob, but, but he's seeing that Jacob's not willing to give up. He's not willing to surrender. He's not willing to put his trust in God. What does he do? He doesn't put him in a special move. He just touches his hip. His hip. And in, in a sense, it, he breaks his hip. He dislocates his hip. So just in one touch, we see how powerful God is. And then what happens next is that Jacob latches on to God. And we know this from Hosea 12, 3 through 5. It says um, uh, in this text that he wept as he sought favor from God. And so we see him like a child just hanging on to God's leg and weeping and asking uh, for God's blessing, for God's approval, for God's acceptance. So what does this teach us? What does this tell us? Is that ultimately, we don't read the story of Jacob and go, man, if I wrestle real hard, if I strive real hard, if I do these things real hard and, and, and have the energy and have the strength, then I too can get a blessing. What we have to see is that Jacob wasn't willing to surrender. Jacob wasn't willing to wave the white flag. He wasn't willing to give up. He didn't see that as success. He saw that as failure. And oftentimes uh, um, we define uh, victory as success, not as surrender. But in all reality, the, the, the greatest success that we can have is surrendering to God. And so God brings him to a place of surrender. God's gift to Jacob was the gift of surrender. Jacob prevailed not when he all of a sudden won the wrestling match. Jacob prevailed whenever he got to the place to where he was completely surrendered. He had a broken hip. He could barely walk. He'd been up all night and he had nothing to do and nothing to offer God. The only thing that Jacob could bring to God was like a child reaching on, clinging on and saying, please help me. God gave him the gift of surrender. God brought him to a place to where he could see that, that it wasn't his control uh, that, that he needed, that what he needed to do is surrender to fully trusting God. What he needed to go face his brother was surrendering his faith and his trust and his confidence in God. And so Jacob was incapable of surrendering himself. And so God wrestled him into this match and he hit him with a wound, a wound of grace. God broke his hip and that is a blessing. Brokenness, please hear me. I know this is hard to hear. Brokenness is, is, is an uncommon gift of grace. 
Surrender is an uncommon gift of grace. And oftentimes it's through brokenness that God transforms our lives. I know this from my story and from my past. It is through brokenness that God has, has healed me and transformed me and shaped me. And in a lot of ways, what God will do is he'll allow something like a broken hip. He'll allow something in our lives to bring us to a place of surrender, to bring us to a place that will strip us of our self-pride, of our self-reliance and our self-trust. He'll bring a situation, a circumstance, whatever it is, to bring us to a place of surrender, to bring us to a place of trusting, to bring us to a place of brokenness. And we shouldn't shun brokenness. The very essence of Christianity is, is admitting that we are broken. Is, is admitting and surrendering the fact that we're flawed and imperfect. So when my wife and I argue, instead of us not willing to surrender, we should be quick to surrender and say, I'm sorry, because admitting that I'm sorry admits that I need a savior to rescue and redeem me. And that's exactly what Jacob needed. What also happens here is something so unique is that he, as he's talking with God, God asks him this question. He's like, what's your name? This is a similar question to what God asked uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you? It's not like God doesn't know. He knows where they're at. This is a question about where are you in here? And, and he's asking Jacob this. What is your name? The last time Jacob was asked that was when he lied to his dad. And so he probably feels the shame and feels the guilt as God asked him that question. I can only imagine. But he doesn't lie to God. He said, my name is Jacob. Jacob means deceiver, cheater. And so he declares that, and God says, not anymore. In a sense, I'm taking that name from you, and I'm giving you a new name, Israel, one who has contended, one who has striven with God. And so in this surrender, God takes his old identity that he's ashamed of from, from, from his deceit, his cheating, his past, and he says, I'm taking that. I'm giving you a new name, a new identity. And this happened through surrender. Jacob didn't, um, um, didn't get this because he fought well with God. He got this because God brought him, brought him to a place of surrender to where the only thing Jacob could say is, God, I need your help. Please help me. And, and, and he makes this exchange with him. But Jacob's story isn't ultimately about Jacob. What it actually is, is it, it's a foreshadow. It's a foretype that points to Jesus Christ. Because what we actually see is this is Jacob wouldn't surrender his life. There's only one man that's walked this earth that's lived in, in perfect surrender to God. So I can't tell you guys this morning, listen, just surrender, just surrender, because it's not in us to do that. The only person that did that perfectly was Jesus Christ. In the garden, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done, because he wasn't tainted by sin. And so Jesus lived his life in perfect surrender to God. And then what he surrendered on the cross was a life of full and faithful obedience to God. And he didn't send his servants ahead to walk the lonely road of Calvary uh, uh, to, to risk their death. He walked that road alone. He went to Calvary alone and he wrestled the ultimate wrestling match with God on the cross, where by his wounds and by him being crushed for the weight of our sin that we deserve by his wounds, we receive grace through faith in him and surrendering to putting our trust in his wounds and in his works. We are reconciled to God and, and, and restored and loved and held infinitely. What we are called to do and what the gospel, which is the good news, calls us to do is to surrender to the fact that we can't save ourselves and we can't do enough. We can't buy or earn God's grace. We can't maintain it. We can't keep it. What we can do is one of two choices. We can keep striving or we can surrender. We can wave the flag and say, Jesus, you've done it all. You've paid it all. You've surrendered it all. 
And so what I need you to do is help my heart to surrender. God has to enact in us. His grace is irresistible. He sends his spirit to surrender our hearts to his grace and to all that his son has done on our behalf. And so this story is ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. This story is pointing to what Christ has done. And what we actually see in this, as, as I wrap up today, what we need is we need to surrender. What we need to do is surrender uh, control. What we need to do is surrender the approval we're trying to seek and, and understand this, is that Christ surrendered all when we put our trust and faith and, and when we wave the flag and say, I can't do it, I'm exhausted, I'm done. What we understand is in that moment, we have a new identity and that identity is unshakable. That, 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 that identity is given to us by God and nothing can, can reverse that. What we have is we have his righteousness and we have his perfection, we have his approval, but we also have as a God who's with us, who's in control, and he's working everything in our lives for our good and his glory. And so sometimes, remember this, God will allow things to come into your life to surrender you. And surrender in this sense is a good thing. Surrender is, is and, and prevailing is looking at the cross and saying, that is my hope, that is my trust. I'm surrendering to that, I'm surrendering to Christ and what he's done. And we understand that to be a victorious thing and a good thing and true success. Let me close with these two verses and then uh, this, this quote by Martin Luther. When we get to Jesus um, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That word come actually means die, give up, let go. So Jesus is saying, surrender. Surrender to me if you're weary and you're heavy laden. And I, it's a promise. I will give you rest. In Psalm 46, 10, it says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still means to hang limp, to, 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 to completely let go as well. And so this is what God's call is. This is surrender. You're trying so hard to maintain control. You're trying so hard to do everything, surrender to the fact that I love you because it's my choice and it's my decision that I love you based upon everything my son has done for you, that I love you and there's nothing that can change that and surrender to the fact that I'm working in your life and in the midst of your pain, people that are listening this morning in brokenness, please hear this, is that God will let wounds into your life to surrender you, that God will let brokenness into your life to surrender you and he did this to Martin Luther and he'll do it to us. Martin Luther said this, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and, and I still tremble, completely abandoned by Christ. This is how he felt. I labored under the storms and desperation and blasphemy against God. But through the prayers of my friends, God began to have mercy on me and pull my soul from the inferno below. I didn't attempt to decipher the causes of the depression or the source of the attacks. It would be neither good nor useful for man to know what great blessings lie hidden under such trials. Some have wanted to fathom this and have thereby done themselves much harm. Thereby, uh, therefore, we should willingly endure the hand of God in this and all suffering. However, don't simply endure, but thank God diligently for deeming him worthy of such a visitation. Do not be worried. Indeed, such a trial is the very best sign of God's grace and love from man. At such a time, it is well to pray, read, or sing. Martin Luther battled depression. Charles Spurgeon battled anxiety and depression. But these men understood that these, in a sense, were gifts of surrender. The sin we struggle with, the things we struggle in our life are the very things that, that, that strip us of self-pride and reliance and take us to a complete surrender and dependence upon God and His grace. 
So as James 1-2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your uncommon gifts of grace. We thank you that this story tells us about surrender is a good thing. Help us to surrender by your grace through the empowerment of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.